The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 264 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is building dementia-friendly communities. The most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. It's a brain disease that can't be stopped, reversed, or cured, and it slowly destroys memory and thinking. But there's hope, too, which I learned about in an episode on this talk show. My guest was a retired firefighter who is family caregiver for his wife, who's living with advanced Alzheimer's disease. We pre-recorded the episode so he and his wife could listen to the broadcast together. I asked him about their life story. Later, he called me to say that they did sit together listening and that when he was talking about their life as childhood sweethearts and their love of dancing, she snuggled up to him. Medical research is focusing more and more on happy and friendly things like this for people with dementia, which is why our topic today, building dementia-friendly communities, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Laurie LaBay and Michael Ellenbogen. Laurie is the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, an advocacy group based in St. Paul, Minnesota, the group provides education and support for people dealing with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Her training programs are designed for people with memory loss and family and professional caregivers. Among her numerous projects is dementia-friendly communities. Back in 2012, she was named the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's by ShareCare, with Dr. Oz. She's highly sought after as a speaker, trainer, and advocate for new delivery systems and improved attitudes towards those with memory loss. She's been a contributing author in four books and is working on one detailing her personal 30-year journey with her mother's memory loss. Michael was diagnosed with younger onset Alzheimer's disease in 2008 at the age of 49. Prior to his diagnosis, he was a network operations manager for a Fortune 500 financial institution. His book, which is called From the Corner Office to Alzheimer's, was published in 2013. Since his diagnosis, he's participated in many speaking engagements and media interviews as an advocate in advocating others 
about Alzheimer's disease and to increase funding for research to find effective treatments. He's interested in motivating people with Alzheimer's to raise their voice and reduce the stigma surrounding the disease. He believes that his diagnosis with Alzheimer's disease is not the end for him because he has so much more to give. Welcome to the show, Laurie and Michael. Thank well, you for having, for having me. Great. Now, I'm going to start with you, Laurie, first, please. How do you work for dementia-friendly communities, and what were the special experiences in your own life that got you interested in them? Laurie? Well, for me, it's all about giving voice um, to everybody who's dealing with dementia um, and changing the face of what people think it is. And and that came to me through my own special experience of my 30-year journey with my mom. I just got really tired of the way she was treated and the family was treated um, and, and people's ignorance regarding the disease and to no fault of their own, just a lot of lack of education. And so I think it's really important to watch and listen for the needs that aren't being satisfied and then doing something different, um, you know, thinking out of the box and then implementing those needed platforms and tools, not being worried about is it going to fail or is it going to succeed, but at least trying. And um, knowing that dementia doesn't fit in the box, everybody is different, every environment is different, every caregiver is different. And knowing that you're always going to have to tweak and change and ebb and flow. And so um, I come, you know, at dementia-friendly communities at a real simple approach, one that's very grassroots and um, just looks at implementing change, trying new things, and um, really trying to uh, get the compassion back into our, our lives as individuals and as businesses and as communities. I really think that we've, we've lost that over the years. Michael, question for you. How do you work with dementia-friendly communities? And what were the special experiences in your own life that, you, that got you interested in them? Michael? Well, for me, it, it all started when I actually went into a hospital setting and I ran into a lot of difficulties being a patient who was living with dementia. I realized at that point in time that there were so many things that were being overlooked for people like myself that the, I guess the health providers just weren't very unclear on how to deal with people like me. So I realized I had to make a difference out there, and I have heard of dementia-friendly communities out in the U.K., and I started to kind of put the two together and realized I have to make a difference here and be able to somehow influence change that will hopefully benefit others like myself. I mean, for me, it could have been a disaster. Luckily, I wasn't really, really bad as far as a person living with dementia, but if somebody was worse than I, they would have really had some real problems. And I was very fortunate that I also had a wife who was also, I guess, not only a caregiver, but also a person who was in the medical field. So because of that, there was extra attention that was given to me during the time that I was in the hospital. So I realized I had to take on a new initiative and to add that on to my long list of uh, advocacy that I do. Right. Laurie, please tell us what a dementia-friendly community is. And where and when did the idea get started? Laurie? 
Well, as Michael said, the idea really started in the U.K. with a man called Norms McNamara, uh, who has dementia, uh, who just got tired of how he was treated when he went out in public. And so he asked his wife one day, honey, would you please go with me to some shop owners? I just want to tell them what it's like for me to go into their their store or their business and educate them and see if I can get them to change. And from there, it just expanded. And what he found was every time he approached um, a store or a business, they all had stories that touched their own lives and that they really did want to make a change and they didn't realize what what they could do to make a difference. And, um, again, Norms has just taken a very simple grassroots approach to becoming dementia-friendly. I think one of the um, the biggest um, culture changes or myths that we have to break down is that dementia-friendly only happens in the healthcare industry, and it happens everywhere. Um, it happens at the gas station, the grocery store, the bank, the museum, the sports center. It doesn't make any difference if you're going to uh, a grandchild or a, a child's, uh, you know, sports game. Um, we need to be more conscious of what other people's needs are um, in the community, and that can happen on large and small levels. So one person like Norm started out saying, I want to change things. And, you know, now he's got the prime minister behind him. And uh, as of Saturday, he just launched uh, 12 or uh, 50 Purple Angel Ambassadors, which is a new symbol for dementia on a global level. Um, the man's making, you know, huge, huge progress just by listening and talking, having simple, simple conversations. So to me, dementia friendly is not about having all the answers. It's about wanting to improve life and then working through um, what will improve life, what will give purpose and impact and engagement back to people. And um, very, you know, it doesn't have to be overly structured, though I think you've got to have a momentum behind you. And there's really kind of two different philosophies. One is more of a grassroots, and then there's one that is also more of an academic and funding-based philosophy out there in terms of how they're going to attack, uh, attack this disease and make life better for people with dementia. Right. Michael, who... Who are the people, who are the types of people that a dementia-friendly community engages with, and why do they engage them? Michael? Well, I think, like Louis said, I think it engages, to me, everybody, everybody in the world, whether they're businesses, whether they're organizations, anybody in hospitals, uh, first responders, and the, the reason it's needed is, first of all, there's such a stigma associated with dementia that most people kind of think that somebody with dementia is just no longer capable of doing anything. And that's so far from the truth. And the people who are living with the disease, they still want to be a part of society. So in order for them to still feel comfortable in society, society in itself has to realize that we also are handicapped, just like somebody in a wheelchair and we need that extra little help when we're out there in the public. For example, you know, we might be in a restaurant and we're having difficulty understanding. You know, sometimes the waitress might run off 
you know, three, four, five things real quickly and tell you what's on the menu. Well, for a person with dementia, that would be very hard to understand. And it's important for us to educate people so they know that if we tell them that we have dementia, they would be more understanding and they would basically give you one or two sentences much smaller in size so you can make a choice. And then if you go with one, then to eliminate it and go into the next, because we just can't handle a lot of information at one time. So it's just a matter of educating the public. Right. Very clear. Now, um, we're going to take the break at this particular point, but in the next couple of segments, we're going to talk much more about the kind of challenges that have to be addressed in the communities everywhere, as you both have made very clear. So we'll take the break now. This is where I like to say we have to pay our rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Laurie LaBay and Michael Ellenbogen. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, Tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story, coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay and Michael Ellen Bogan. Our topic is building dementia-friendly communities. 
So both of you, now let's talk about the challenges that dementia creates for persons, families, family caregivers, healthcare, and social and justice systems and communities. In other words, all those worlds, all those communities that you've both been talking about out there, let's talk about the challenges that dementia creates in those places. So, Laurie, what are the greatest challenges that arise for persons with dementia? Well, as I see them, it's uh, the myths and the stigmas attached to the disease, um, the lack of education. Um, people really, there, there's quite an ignorance to what this disease is like from, uh, I mean, there's still people out there that believe they might be able to catch it. Um, they don't know how to, to interact with somebody. They think it's only an older person's disease, that the person is only in their end stages and can't communicate. And needless to say, by listening to Michael, you know that that's not true at all. Um, a lot of these people diagnosed with, with early Alzheimer's are making a significant difference and impact in changing our care culture. So really the lack of education, support, and services to not only the person who's diagnosed, but those that are caring for them really needs to change. That's, to me, got to be a number one priority. I'm all for a cure, but a cure is a long ways out, and too many people need our help, and we need to, we need to change things at a basic level so that people can to feel that there's hope and support in terms of living with this disease. I think there is a extreme amount of embarrassment for people when they go out into the public, and so a lot of times they pull back uh, because, again, of the response that they get from others. And the lack of acceptance and tolerance for this disease um, really needs to change. It isolates so many, and, you know, and then depression can set in and, and so many other things. So the challenges are, are fairly significant, and, and that's not even to touch on the financial um, and legal um, issues. Uh, that's just kind of some of the social issues that are pretty major. So in other words, it's preventing, the challenges prevent the individual with um, some stage of dementia from living a life that would be normal and successful for them. Is that right, Laurie? Yeah, I, I would say so. In in some ways, you could almost compare it um, in in some situations to bullying. You know, people pull back when they're bullied, and and that happens not only to the person with dementia, but the people who are caring for them as well. Um, it can be exhaustive, um, both mentally, physically, um, socially, financially. Um, it, this is a devastating disease, and we need to have the conversation. People have to feel comfortable talking about what it's really like, and the rest of us have to stop poo-pooing it and belittling it and say, oh, I've lost my keys too, you know. Um, we really need to listen. Um, people with dementia have so much to teach us. It's just it's a fascinating disease, and it doesn't have to be so devastating if we work together. Right. Michael, what are the greatest challenges that arise for the families and family caregivers of persons with dementia? Michael? Well, for me, from what I've been able to see, and again, I'm not speaking from a family perspective because, I'm, of course, I'm not one, but from what I've been able to witness after is the lack of education. I see so many different caregivers out there 
who are in need of trying to understand better of what it really means for some one of their loved ones to deal with this disease in the later stages. And the sad part is it doesn't seem to be out there, even, you know, for like the big associations who try to educate us about, you know, this disease. And I think what happens is these people tend to end up falling short with their expectations, and all of a sudden they become overwhelmed because it comes upon them so quickly that things happen that they just weren't expected to happen to their loved ones. And the same thing also happens for the person who's living with dementia. Again, it's not very specific out there in the industry on how bad this disease really is and how it has an impact on people, and most people are taken by surprise. And I think that's part of the biggest problem that we all contribute to is that we're not, I think we kind of beat around the bush. It's kind of a known fact that, yes, it's a progressive disease and people die from it, but nobody seems to want to speak about really what truly happens to that person as they decline. And I think we're doing injustice by not educating us. Right. Now, Laurie, back to you. What are the greatest challenges that dementia creates for the healthcare social injustice systems? Laurie? Well, you know, the cost factor is probably the one that hits the news the most. The expense of this disease is massive. The out-of-pocket cost for uh, for family caregivers is um, just astronomical. The average time that somebody spends uh, caring for somebody is over 20 hours a week. Um, that's a massive amount of time. Most of us are, are, like, dying to get an extra hour someplace, and now we've got to devote maybe up to 20 hours, um, you know, to care for somebody. That's that's a, a ton. Um, you know, it, it affects more than just the person with the disease, and I think that that is one of the, the biggest mistakes that has not been addressed. Like Michael said, it's education. And we have to start working as a society, as a team, together. Um, one of the things that is just so devastating to people is, uh, you know, are the costs um, associated with this disease. You know, you get somebody like Michael who's young, who's lost his job, and you're used to, a, you know, a two-person income family. You know, that wasn't in the plan. And now you've got, you know, how are medical expenses going to be covered? Can you get long-term care insurance? Um, who's going to give respite um, to the caregiver? And, you know, the cost of the drugs. Uh, I mean, it, the list, it just goes on and on and on and on. And so the challenges, um, you know, to our, our system and our budget are massive. But I think even more so on a social conscious level. Um, this is really a wake-up call. This disease is here to say, hey, you know what? It's not about the big fancy house and the car. It's about being relationship-based. And we have really lost that. In pretty much anywhere around the world, you talk to people and they say the same thing. You know, the help's not there. The support isn't there. And I remember growing up, I mean, you didn't have to ask. Someone would just cut your grass or shovel your snow or bring a meal or, or offer a ride. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And, and, you know, those are simple things, um, that don't have to cost anybody a lot of money, but would have huge, huge impact in terms of helping people live more independently. 
Now that reads straight back into the question I'm just go going to ask Michael, which is, what are the greatest challenges dementia creates for the communities where persons with dementia live? And one of the challenges Laurie was just talking about, that is, um, is the community responding in the simple ways of life sufficiently? Now, please tell us what you consider to be the greatest challenges that dementia creates for the communities where people with dementia are living, and that's pretty well everywhere. Michael? Well, I think probably the biggest challenge I see is trying to get the community to understand the benefits of educating themselves in reference to knowing what it's like to be in society with other people with dementia. Because there's so many of us who are around them that they don't even know and they don't even realize. Uh, for example, somebody the other day made me aware about some person who had dementia who was in a uh, store and they were walking out because they didn't realize that, you know, they bought something, but they were walking out of the store because they didn't pay for it. And the person just it was clueless that they had to do that because they were unfortunately had the problem of some kind of dementia. And it's this education process that we need to make people aware that somehow the community needs to understand that not everybody is a crook and some people have some difficulties and we need to figure out how to work together with these people. And I believe there's got to be a way to somehow maybe the people have some kind of a way to indicate that they have dementia so more people are more willing to work with us. Like, for example, you might need help writing a check when you're in a store or something. But that education process is probably the hardest part for, I think, the community to understand. And it's something that we have to figure out how we work together to get there because it's going to benefit everybody. Right. Now, I want to go back to Laurie and bracket my question to her, this next part of the question, with what Michael's just said. And that is, somebody might be viewed as a crook who with dementia has not remembered how to pay for something. There's another aspect where the law, the justice system might get involved, and that is where people who can't find the words to express themselves to say, I got a pain in my mouth because I got a sore in my mouth and instead become aggressive or, or even perhaps violent. So what about the justice systems for understanding how good is their understanding of what dementia really is? Well, I don't think their understanding is very good at all. Um, I, I don't think most Police departments, fire, um, medical staff, our EMTs. I mean, we need massive, massive training um, for everybody because, you know, this is a disease where, I mean, it's, people aren't labeled on their forehead, you know, have dementia. Uh, it, it's an invisible disease. And it, it's something that needs to be addressed, and people have to understand that we are an aging population, um, but this isn't necessarily just an older person's disease. And, you know, we have gotten so skeptical um, as a world for the most part. You know, we right away go to it's got to be the worst-case scenario, and, and sometimes, you know, someone just forgot. 
um, what the process is like. And granted, people don't want to be scammed, but it's important to keep that open as an option. And, um, and, and then to do your investigative work. There are so many gifts that are wrapped in becoming dementia-friendly, from learning how to be collaborative and building camaraderie, um, engaging everyone and empowering people to live their, to their personal potential. Um, you know, we've forgotten about some of those basic things that are so fulfilling at all levels, about being more accepting of others and building tolerance um, instead of building these walls, realizing, you know what, we're not a Barbie doll society and everybody is not the same, and that's okay. And looking at, um, at the strengths in our differences instead of being afraid of them. Um, right. So I, I think that there's a lot that can be um, done, um, but it's like Michael said earlier, it's it's everybody. Everybody needs to get educated um, from the young child in school, you know, to the president of the United States um, and everybody in between. This, this sees no boundaries um, or barriers um, from culture to age. And we have to start realizing that. Um, we means the broader society. Correct. That you, Laurie, and you, Michael, have been pointing to all the communities in those societies who don't understand, who aren't provided with the education that they need to understand, and therefore who, frankly, make poor judgments about the person that they're, who they're dealing with. That's a serious issue. And what we're going to do now is to take our break, because when we come back from that, what we're going to talk about is the way in which dementia-friendly communities address some, maybe all, of those challenges. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Laurie Labay and Michael Allen Bogan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM. Please stay with us. make our world a better place but not sure where to start tune into better worldians radio with the creators of the social game on facebook called a better world join hosts ray mary sue and gregory hansel who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways they'll speak to experts authors volunteers and everyday people who are changing the world daily Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. 
You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay and Michael Ellen Bogan. Our topic is building dementia-friendly communities. Now, let's talk about how dementia-friendly communities help in overcoming the challenges created by dementia, the challenges that you both, um, Laurie and Michael, were talking about in the last segment. So starting with you, Laurie, please, how do dementia-friendly communities help in overcoming the challenges created for the persons with dementia? Well, I I think just having that support and removing the isolation is the first um, and biggest step. Um, It it allows the person to feel like they belong to society and their community again, instead of being ostracized. And to me, that is is the biggest and most powerful difference that I see, um, that there's an acceptance there and that can that can help on so many levels and then you you see these voices come out these voices of experience like like Michael and so many others that can teach us so many wonderful lessons and new ways of doing things um, it, it's it's pretty amazing now Michael. How do dementia-friendly communities help in overcoming the challenges created for the families and family caregivers of the persons with dementia? Michael? Well, I think, first of all, it would probably remove a lot of the stigma that both families and care, I'm sorry, both families and the people with dementia would be going through. But more importantly, I think it would give the families a sense that their loved ones could go out in the communities and there were what I consider people out there to help them in a way that they could still try to live life the best they could to the fullest with the help and guidance of other people around them. You know, it's like, you know, somebody, you know, you see somebody who's in a wheelchair or somebody who's blind, you know, people are always trying to go and help them people when they're out there. And sadly to say, when you have dementia, People really don't know you have it, and they don't realize the struggles you go through. But if some people are well-educated in understanding and picking up some of those issues, it would make things just so much better for people, and that would give the families such a comfort feeling to know that even though they're out there in the society still trying to uh, mingle and, and do things on a daily basis, there's people helping them, and, and that, I think, is important. Now, going back to Laurie, how do dementia-friendly communities help in overcoming the challenges created by dementia for healthcare, social, and justice systems? Laurie? Well, again, I think it's, it's about getting um, all of these systems working as one. 
You know, they they have been fairly isolated, and um, that doesn't work when when you're dealing with humans. We cross the barriers. You know, we're in the justice system, we're in the social system, we're in the healthcare system, and we need to work as a interdisciplinary team. Um, you know, I, I heard a, a fireman talk the other day about how wonderful it was to to have their system in an emergency where they're hooked up with everybody and, and what a difference that makes when they're dealing with an emergency. And, and granted, um, this might not be a catastrophe like a, uh, a tornado or an earthquake or, you know, whatever it might be, but it's, it's on a personal level. It's just as devastating, and we need to have all those supports um, working together, speaking the same language. A lot of times we get mucked up using proper protocol and, and um, you know, acronyms, and we're talking over people's heads, and they don't, they don't even know what we're talking about. And we've got to start speaking the people's language and giving them comfort and giving them support um, and I, and I think that that's one of the, the best ways to be able to do that. Plus, we're sharing knowledge. Um, we're getting it from different, different aspects and different viewpoints. And, and that's just a massive, massive plus in terms of making change. Right. Michael, how do dementia-friendly communities help in overcoming the challenges dementia creates for the communities where persons with dementia live? Michael? Well, I think for me, it, it would be something tremendous where if I knew I can go in places and I could tell somebody I had dementia and they understood what it was all about, where today I could tell you, you know, you, you tell somebody you have dementia, you see them like almost jump back three feet thinking that you have something contagious. Uh, so it, it would be just so great for people to understand some of the difficulties that I run into and maybe be there and to help me when I need help from time to time. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, just trying to find my car can be a challenge. I'm still very capable of driving, but yet I will not be able to find my car at times. So it's things like that where people need to be understanding to help us and to be able to make us feel more comfortable. You know, like you said earlier, you know, you, know, you, you could have some kind of pain and somebody can become aggressive. It's to be able to understand those little kind of things that could mean something so big to somebody like me because it can allow us to live our life much better and to not feel that we're, we're a burden or, you know, to have this kind of cloud over your head that, you know, you, you feel unwanted in society because of the stigma that's associated with it today. Michael, still talking about the word stigma and also the question of information. Michael, if someone were to notice that you were looking for your car or something along those lines, how would you feel if they asked you straight out, do you have dementia? How would you feel about that? Well, in my case, I would be okay with that, but everybody's different, and I know some people don't like that, but that's where the training aspect comes into place and says, well, are you okay? Can I help you? Are you looking for your car? I mean, there's another way about going about it rather than just coming out and just saying you have dementia. So I think it's an educational process that many trainers have 
learn these things for years, and that's all we're trying to do is try to educate the rest of the public on how to do things like that. Right. Now, let me go back to Laurie. It's the same kind of question, but it's to do with privacy, because many people, quite rightly, feel, just as Michael was saying, that they don't want others to know that they've got a problem. On the other hand, sometimes sharing information in an appropriate way can be helpful to overcome the challenges that you've both been talking about. So, Laurie, please give us your view of this question of who knows what in relation to someone who's living with dementia and is getting into difficulties. Laurie, what do you think? Well, it's a very interesting topic, and I, I know here in Minnesota they're, they're trying to, in some other communities, they want to get a database um, for police and fire and EMTs so that they know if they're going to a house with a person with dementia. And there's a lot of people that just don't want that information out there um, until it's too late, <laughs> you know, until they need that service because we're all in denial of I'm not going to need that emergency, you know, uh, response. Um, but we just never quite know. And I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer for that one. Um, I can see pluses and minuses for both. Uh, people have talked about, well, putting a sign up on the door, but that can make somebody extremely vulnerable, um, you know, to unethical people. So it would have to be very controlled and, and secured. And it wouldn't, it would, um, also have to, in my opinion, not have, um, ramifications, uh, like with insurance or, or other things, because I think that that's a big worry for people is who's all going to know and how else is this going to affect um, my situation? A am I not going to be able to drive all of a sudden because I have that label? Um, am I not going to be able to be insured? Am I not going to be allowed to do this, that, or the other thing? So um, I don't think that there is a good answer for that one. I, I wish there was. Uh, I do think that we have to get more comfortable in terms of, of having the conversation. And if we have, if we, if we feel comfortable broaching the conversation, it's going to be easier for people to talk to us about it as well. You know, if we don't go in in the attack mode, but really a compassionate mode. And, um, you know, maybe that's how we're going to end up really disseminating this information. Right. Michael, similar question, but it's this. Do people with dementia experience abuse of various forms? Are they robbed? Are they cheated? Are they, uh, did they experience violence? Is that a problem? for people in the dementia community. Michael? Well, I think it's definitely a concern. I could tell you I was the type of person years ago that I would never allow to be scammed. And I can tell you now, in the last, I guess, probably year, even in the last month, people have been trying to hack into my accounts and do all kinds of things. So I, I think we become targets, and I don't know if, it's, if I'm becoming a target just because I'm in the public eye, but I've also spoken to other people who have dementia who have also become targets who aren't in the public uh, eye. So I, I think it is a real concern uh, that, you know, because of our condition, we become more exposed out there. And one of the things I think that really needs to happen is I think the laws need to really get changed. So if somebody who has dementia is scammed or somehow, that they are really 
penalized by the law really bad to try to ensure things like that don't occur, and he, you know, or to make sure people like that don't come after us as targets. Right. The point I think that I would put, summarize from what you've both been saying is that people with dementia are vulnerable to bad things happening to them, including discrimination, but a, a number of other things as well. And that we as a society, as a community, including people with dementia, uh, really need more publicity to the challenges that are faced in such a way that the authorities start to take these things uh, seriously and start to do something about them. Now, on that point, I'm going to finish because finish because it's time for the break but in the next segment I'm going to be asking you both what you want to see done. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Utterly and my guests are Laurie LeBay and Michael Ellenbogen. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. When you think of museums, what comes to mind? Is it ancient history? Rotating displays of collections? Are they nice places to visit? Or are they essential to our cities and society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert. We'll discuss what the attraction is and historical importance of museums and what they contribute to the economic makeup of our cities and country. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Laurie LaBay and Michael Ellenbogen. Our topic is building dementia-friendly communities. So now, both of you, let's talk about things you would like to do to accelerate progress in developing dementia-friendly communities. Um, And also, 
to understand the kind of messages that you want to give to our listeners. But first of all, Laurie, what would you like to do to accelerate progress in developing dementia-friendly communities? I'd like to see a lot more um, education and collaboration. I'd love to see the expansion of the Blue Angel symbol, or Purple Angel, Blue Angel, where did I come up with that? <laughs> Purple Angel, um, which is the global symbol for dementia, um, to go around the world for people to embrace uh, things and work together. Uh, collaboration, we can just do so much more, so much faster. And, um, and then to be all-inclusive, letting all voices be heard and all opinions and perspectives um, be considered. I think that that's just uh, uh, such a need. And then the, um, the last two things are really about getting comfortable having a conversation about this disease, allowing people to talk about it, and feeling comfortable initiating a conversation and sharing knowledge and resources. Um, people would be surprised in their own circle how many people are affected by this disease. And so when they run across good information, it's so easy to share now with social media. Um, push it out because you're opening a door to allow someone else information they may not have known existed. And it might just be the right time uh, for them to, to have that appear before them. And all of a sudden, you've, you've got a conversation, you've made a connection, and it's taken little to no effort to do. It, to me, it's really about the simplicity of, um, of caring. Right. Michael, what more would you like to do to accelerate progress in developing dementia-friendly communities? Well, I would like to see, I guess, first of all, our government to become more of a backing uh, to support this particular cause, just like as they do in the U.K., uh, but more I'd like to see the businesses and hospitals to start to embrace this. Uh, I I'm presently dealing with a hospital in my local area, and to be honest with you, it's been something that's been going on for two years now, and I'm like on a roller coaster with them because I just can't seem to be getting anywhere. So it, there just seems to be a lot of reluctance out there for people wanting to embrace this. So I, I think it's important that we all get involved with this, not only the people who are living with dementia, but also the caregivers to be pushing these things because it's so important that we figure out ways to do this and we just can't wait for the next person next to us to try to push this. We all have to work together in this as a team. And that is the only way we're going to change this and, and make it something that is going to eventually work for everybody. Right. Now, Laurie, what's your personal message for families who are concerned about the possibility of dementia challenges developing in their family members? Laurie? Well, first of all, I'd say chances are it's going to happen. <laughs> You know, the, the odds are against all of us um, when it comes to this disease. So prepare yourself. Um, get educated um, so that you remove the fear and and build, you know, build those relationships that you need. But get educated before you, before you actually need the information. Get informed. Um, get involved. Become an advocate and, and learn about this disease. And... The other thing that I, you know I'm a, a, a big component of is just getting people to realize they don't have to lose their relationships to this disease. 
um, that anything that comes before us, there's a lesson to be had. And if you approach this disease asking, what's the lesson, you'll be pretty surprised at some of the life lessons that you'll be taught through this disease that are absolutely beautiful and will reshape and um, really give you added value in your life. Um, but again, it's changing our, our mindset to be able to wrap around that and to know that we're not alone. Um, there are many, many people out there um, all around the world dealing with this who want to talk about it, people who want to support you, but they can't um, if you don't let them. So, you know, if you're worried about it, you need to get to a doctor and not just your general um, GP but a neurologist and gerontologist uh, and someone who specializes in memory loss um, so that you get an accurate diagnosis. And if you're not feeling comfortable with the diagnosis, get a second opinion. Sometimes these things can be reversible. Certain types of dementia can be reversible. Um, other times they can't, but you want to get those supports that are available to you in place right away. Right. Michael, what's your message for families who are concerned about the possibility of dementia challenges developing in their family members? Michael? Well, I won't repeat what Lori said, but sadly to say, uh, we're all probably going to be touched with this disease in our lifetime. One in three seniors over the age of 85 dies with some sort of dementia. And I don't want people to think that dementia only impacts the older generation. There's people who are on record 24 years old, and I know somebody 29 and 33 today who have it. So dementia has no boundaries. It hits everybody, and eventually somebody is going to know somebody who's been impacted with it. So it's extremely important that when people have some kind of symptom that they start having some difficulties that could resemble forgetting and things like that, it's very important for them to get checked out. It's critical because waiting too long could mean the difference between really having a, a true form of something progressive like Alzheimer's or uh, some other type of dementia, or it could mean some kind of, uh, not disease, but a medical condition that could be cured also. So it's very important for people to get checked out when they have these things. The one problem that most people tend to do is they're, they're afraid to get that diagnosis to find out what is possibly wrong because they're afraid of what the results may be. And sometimes those results can end up being what could end up helping them to not even have a problem. So it's important for people to get checked out as quickly as possible when they experience issues. That's very very important advice, isn't it? That is to say, don't be afraid to go and ask about what the problem could be. I think that's a key, key message. Now, I just want to say to you, you've been talking about communities and you've also been talking about the way in which communications are becoming international. You talked about the uh, angel, um, forgotten its color, but the angel method this is an international communication. This is an international community. And this is an international recognition that dementia happens in all societies, in all cultures, to the rich 
to the not so rich and to the poor, and it happens at a wide range of age. So therefore, the more we all share our experiences, the more we all talk, the more we give voice to the people who have lived with this, whether as people with the condition or whether as family caregivers or whether as families, the more we hear from them, the more we feel, well, we're not alone. alone. There are others that have been there, done that, lived through this. And there's also some messages of hope in that. The kind of things you both have been talking about do provide hope and help and do not do dreadful things like destroy relationships that have been so important and so vital. In other words, the happy things are still possible too. Now, I want to thank you both for all of this, sharing your experience, sharing your insights, and sharing your advice. And I want to wish you, on behalf of everyone, every, every success in your work of building dementia-friendly communities. They matter. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Peace Ranch Supportive Housing and Rehabilitation for Adults Living with Mental Illness. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.